Hey, welcome to Encounter Church. Uh, we're so glad you're here today. Um, this is a special day, as Jason and the team has said. It's been a day that we've been working towards for a long time. And uh, while the space isn't completely finished, as you walked in and you're like, that looks like a wall should be there. Um, there, there's probably some of those kind of places we know that there should be a wall there. We're just waiting on the wall to get here. And we were like, man, we miss church. And we really want to get in to church and have service. And so we made a decision. We'll, we'll do soft opening. We'll, we'll just hold off on some things. And by September, everything will be in place and installed and complete. And people won't walk in and think there should be a wall there. And uh, so because we just missed you. And uh, we're glad that even in the midst of the summer, you guys are here because we know that this is full out summer season. And I hope you're having a good summer. And what we wanted to do with this series is really kind of set you up. In the summer, we, we get a little bit of a moment to slow down, um, or at least to, to have a little bit more time away with family, with friends, um, to kind of reflect. Uh, for many of us in our life season, this is a, a time where we've kind of just completed a chapter, and we're moving into a new chapter, and those periods are really good reflection periods. And this series, White Noise, that we're kicking off today is meant to be one of those kind of series uh, that we may not all resonate with everything, but that all of us can connect with some portion of it through this journey. Um, I am an individual who, I'm just going to have a confession, um, I have trouble sleeping at night if it's a silent room. I don't know about you, that's why I alluded to when that, that sound just started happening, that brought me comfort, because at night, I need noise to help me fall asleep. It's, it's been around in my life for a long time, but a few years back, we moved into a house that we were using to kind of transition through, and it, this house had been gutted, remodeled, but it was an old house, and it had a, kind of a weird floor plan. Um, it was a two-story house, but the second floor wasn't a full floor. It was more like a loft that had been converted into multiple bedrooms, and there was a little bit of this open air kind of looking into the living room. Now, I don't know if maybe I should have been a Navy SEAL or if I just played a lot of video games growing up, but for whatever reason, there's a part of my brain, when I walk into spaces, I could see how if someone stormed this place, this would be the angle of attack. And the bedroom, it's weird, counselor said another six months, and I should clear that part, right? But there was this back bedroom over here, which is where we slept, and it, it, when you walked out, you could see the living room, and every night I would lay in, in our bed, and all I could hear was this old house still settling and creaking, the wind blowing, and all along, it, it was never the wind, it was a, a band of highly trained thieves making their, like, entry, and, and I would sit in the bed, and I would lay there and I would hear what I swore was someone coming up the steps or someone kind of climbing up a wall and I would get out of the bed and I would do a full sweep. Whatever was closest to me became the weapon. And so sometimes I was terrifying and sometimes I was a joke, but I would walk around the house ready to tackle any group of intruders. I'd get back in the bed and Jenny's like, oh my goodness, like it was the wind. Like you don't know <laughs> if it's the wind. And this happened, I would keep her up, and, you know, it's kind of a vicious cycle. And she's like, finally, like, why do you, like, why are you so upset? Why do you keep waking up throughout the night? I'm like, have you never seen American Ninja Warrior? Like, someone could run through our door, leap off our couch, grab onto the edge, shimmy over, jump in, and instantly be in our bedroom before I could even grab whatever is closest to defend you. This is about me protecting you. 
Like, what are you missing there? And this is something, no matter what house we move into, this is always what happens to me. Whenever we travel, I hear everything. And, and it really goes back to my childhood. Um, I don't know about you, but at night when I lay in the bed, all the noises that have distracted me through the day are off. And those thoughts that kind of hover underneath the surfaceness kind of start to bubble up. Start thinking about the, the bills, or you start thinking about the relationship, or the thing you said that day that you wish you hadn't said, or the thing that you wish you had said, but you, you weren't smart enough to say it in the moment. Right? That all those things kind of start to bounce around your head. And for me, that's been a constant struggle. I struggle with anxiety. This is something I've dealt with. It's that noise always underneath the surface that oftentimes I have this white noise in my life to cover up. It started when, as my earliest memory, in fact, my stepdad died when I was about three. And so literally from my earliest first memory, I remember going to bed every night hoping that I woke up the next morning with my mom still in the house. It shaped the way I saw the world. That ballooned into teenage years where all of a sudden it was no longer losing my mom being the greatest fear. It started kind of expanding into other areas. You know, puberty, your voice squeaking, hair growing. I mean, it's everything. You're not tall enough. You're, you're still short. Everyone else is athletic and you're not. Or they made A's and you made B's or C's. And by the time I got into my 20s, I had had a full-fledged, began to have panic attacks, and was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder that quite honestly, um, had it not been for the miracle of God in my life, I would not be here today. It got that dark. And what I want to press in today as we unpack this idea of white noise, specifically the noise underneath the white noise of our life, anxiety, that this isn't just coming from someone who's thought about it or even read what God has said or what Paul has unpacked for us. It's someone who's been living this because in my 20s, I, I stumbled into this reality and this wisdom that I want to share today. A wisdom written by a man who was intimately aware with the struggles of pressure and panic and anxiety, who lived in the genuine age of anxiety. Because as much as sociologists will label this age the age of anxiety, and as much as our drug use in our culture says about what plagues us and our desires to escape and to relax, that ultimately, this is a generation, when this letter was first written, that lived with a life expectancy that's half of what it is today. Where when you had a child, there was more than likely a chance that they wouldn't make it to adulthood. Where there wasn't restaurants and the way that we understand them, there wasn't grocery stores. And out of that stress, out of that, that place, this man with this wisdom of experience and wisdom from God writes a letter to a group of people who are struggling with some of the same things he is. And he impacts in this very ancient letter a pathway for us in this modern age that he gives us in his ancient advice to them the same footpath that you and I can begin to walk in our own lives to experience peace. Because for many of us, you live with this silent struggle, and you've never been told that there's another way, that there's something else, that you can exchange your panic for peace. And that this is what this man, almost 2,000 years ago, writes a letter to these people to unpack for them. 
Jason referenced the Encounter Church app, and one of the things that we, we do in that app is to make it very simple for you, is we have a section that says message notes. And if you click on that, you'll go ahead and, and see the Bible passage for the day, this letter that I'm referencing, already preloaded, and a section for you to take notes and even jot down some thoughts that maybe bubble up. But what I want to do today is look at this ancient letter, this letter written to a group of people in Philippi called the Letter of Philippians, um, and see in the kind of chapter four, towards the end of this book, just a few sentences that this man Paul writes to these people who are struggling with anxiety to teach them and to show them how they can exchange it for peace. Um, it begins this way in verse six. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, it's good to remember that the first century recipient of this letter, the average first century recipient would have been illiterate. And so a lot of the way that the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is where this letter is found, was written, was written in a way so that people could hear it and grab hold of it and understand it. And what Paul is doing in that little short section is using something that would have been very common to the listeners of the day. He, he's using this, this idea, it's a, a fancy word that you probably never used in a sentence that I'm going to give you today, so if you ever make it on Jeopardy, you can return it to me, okay? It's a word called inclusio, and inclusio is a, it's a sound device, um, kind of like righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. It's a, a way of memorizing, a simple kind of, kind of framework, and what he does with this inclusio is he gives them a peace inclusio. If you were just listening, not reading, you heard peace twice. And peace frames the whole conversation he wants to have. Another way of thinking about it, he, he's offering them a peace patty to eat. Up top, this bun and this bun, both peace. And the way he frames it, inside of it, tucked inside of the way he, he speaks it, is the path for peace. He gives three different steps that are inside of this little kind of peace inclusio. And it's these three steps that I alluded to learning how to walk through that's changed my life and that I believe can change your life or at least start to help you begin to exchange peace and panic because this is what God intended. You heard it's a promise. This isn't something reserved for people who live on a mountain somewhere, cloistered together, wearing special hoods, repeating and meditating all day. This was a promise given to anyone who is willing to receive it. And he says, the first thing that you have to realize, if you want to take this first step of peace, is he launches out and he reminds them about prayer. Now, here's the thing. He's moving really quick through this section, and he is loaded. We could spend an entire month unpacking these few sentences. That's how much he's put inside of this advice. When he says prayer, he actually uses three different words. Because he's not saying prayer in some generic way. He's telling them, hey, this is what it looks like to pray in a way that exchanges panic for peace. He says the first thing is he says by prayer, which is um, a very specific type of prayer. 
It's, it's a prayer that um, you kind of sort of already started to see play out a little bit. It's this idea of adoration or worship, if you have been around religious circles. It's this idea that in the day, the cut through, is uh, about looking up taking your eyes off of yourself and looking to God. And instead of seeing your circumstances as great and challenging, you see him as great. That's this first step he says is this idea of prayer is adoration, looking up. It's a reshifting and it's a recalibrating of how you see your life. He's great. While this is a, a really big struggle, he's greater than that struggle. And then he moves on. It's not just about... Um, this idea of adoration, then he moves on to petition. And petition is this very specific request. This is the point where after you have looked up to him, you lift up to him your specific struggle. This is where you say, God, I am struggling with our finances or in our, my relationship with my children or I'm struggling with this kind of impending layoff and what's the next step vocationally for me? where you lift up specifically to God his requests. And this is fun. If you're maybe in this room or joining us online, you're not a Christian, this to me is where it gets really fun. Because Christians actually say, test us. Like, we're gonna, we believe in prayer so much that we say specific things to God. Paul's not saying, hey, throw up something general. It's kind of like the horoscope. You know, you can read a horoscope, and no matter what you are, you can feel like, oh, it spoke to me that day. Oh, it guided me. Oh, it knew. And it's very general. Paul, because of his confidence, is saying, no, ask specifically. Because there's no vagueness in specific request. There's this confidence that he has underneath the surface. Be specific about your struggle with God. Give it to him. And then the last thing he does, which is critical in this prayer prayer step, is he says, with thanksgiving. He's like, after you've looked up, after you've lifted up, now pause and look around and thank him for what you see. Because anxiety has a way of giving you tunnel vision, doesn't it? When your financial struggles are present in your life, those financial struggles feel like the only thing in your life. When your relationship with your kid is breaking down, that's the only thing that feels like it's in your life. And we can get so caught up with the grief and the anxiety of this one situation that we miss that there's so many other good things in our lives. And this is why Paul says, look, in this prayer step, you need to not only look up and not only lift up, but make sure before you leave that you look around and acknowledge the good things that are still to be found in your life. Because there's a lot of them. And I would wager, no matter who you are in this room, and me personally, that no matter what you have going on, there are more good things still in your life than there are bad. But anxiety has a tendency to give us tunnel vision. And this is what he's pointing to. This first step has this effect. When we do this, it starts to shift our perspective. And Paul, operating under just the wisdom of God, leads us into step two. He says, look up, lift up, and then look around. But when you start to look around, what he's doing subtly is he's starting to shift the way you think, doesn't he? When you start to look around, you're taking your focus off of the one bad thing, and you're starting to focus on some other good things. In our household, I have a five-year-old little girl, and we talk about focus a lot. Gratitude's a big deal in our household. It's a family value. We want to we be grateful for what we have, not gripe about what we don't. And so this is a conversation that we frequently have, especially when we walk through Target and the toy section. 
because she will leave. And um, we had an emotional breakdown a few weeks ago over unicorns not being real. And, and that opened up a whole new kind of world of struggle for me because I had to explain to my little girl that unicorns, in fact, doesn't exist. And then she said, well, I'm going to pray that God will give me one and <laughs> navigate that one. Or are you saying, Daddy, are you saying God can't make a unicorn? Like, no, sweetheart, that's a really theologically deep question. Thank you. Um, really appreciate that five-year-old little girl crying about a unicorn. And, um, and so what we have to do, like, the struggle is real in our household. Like, what we have to talk about is focus. And she's like, Daddy, how do I focus? And I'm like, focus, sweetheart, is what you choose to think about and talk about. That's what focus is for you and me. It's what we choose to think about. You have a choice. You can... Think about a unicorn, or you can think about all the other good things in our life. You can choose to talk about the unicorn you don't have, or you can talk about all the other good things in our life. And the one choice that you have, sweetheart, is to choose where you focus. That's your decision. Daddy and mommy can't do it for you. And it's the same for us, isn't it? This is what Paul is doing. He's like, look, in that final step of prayer, when you start to be grateful, what you're doing is you're starting to shift your focus. And that's why he launches into the second step where he says, finally, brothers and sisters, right? He's like, look, we're starting, you're starting to wrap your mind around it once you understand this first step. Whatever's true and noble, right and pure and lovely and admirable, he's starting to list all of these traits about the thought life. Because when you're willing to be grateful, when you're starting to look around and notice the good things, what starts to happen is you start to exchange this negative thought life for this positive focus, that you start to notice and see and, and focus in on things that are true and noble and lovely. He's like, that's to, that's to be the characteristic of your thought life. And then he's like, look, I've given you a lot, so let me just summarize it this way. If anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about that. He's like, that's your litmus test. If it's excellent, if it's praiseworthy, think about that. To make it even more simple, if someone walked up and plugged these speakers into your brain and your thoughts were broadcast for the room, would you, be, would you inspire people? Would you encourage them? Or would they be running and fleeing from the room? Would it be Debbie Downer? I mean, what characterizes what happens up here? Because what happens up here doesn't stay up here. It starts to find its way into our life. And it starts to filter into our actions. And Paul understands this, and this is why he's saying, look, excellent and praiseworthy. Focus on those things. Now, let me go on a slight rabbit trail to tell you why this will be hard for you and I. Because for most of us, we, the, I was about to say most of us have brains. We all have brains. <laughs> but for most of us, what we don't realize is that inside of our brains is, um, to use a road analogy, we have interstates of neurons that know how to worry and stress and be anxious. Interstates, right? And some of you are good. You know this. You walk into a room, and you, you can find the thing to stress out about. It's easy for you. You can get worried at work quicker than anyone else. You go zero to 60 and worry faster than any sports car alive because you got this interstate of neurological pathways where you've been doing it for so long, you're good at it. If there was an Olympic team for anxiety, you would win gold medal. And the reason this is a struggle for you and I, the reason Paul spends so much time focusing and giving us so many different character traits for this very simple 
simple piece of advice is he realizes that for most of us, anxiety is the interstate and peace is a footpath. We rarely ever do it. And it's this footpath that's windy and dark and thorns are growing into it. And he's like, look, he understood. I mean, just the wisdom of God in him writing this. He understood how our brains worked before we understood today. I mean, this is just recent scientific discovery of how our brains work. That the more you choose to think about something, the easier it is to think about those things. This is a flywheel effect. The more you choose to think about stress and anxiety, the easier it gets to do it. But the more you choose to think about what's lovely, what's admirable, what's excellent, what's praiseworthy, the easier it is to get to do that. Eventually, that footpath of peace over here with all the thorns starts to become its own interstate. And this starts to shrink over time. Because what you don't use, you lose in your mind. And this is what Paul understands. This is why he's encouraging. He's like, look, over time, this will start to affect you. Let me get super practical just to kind of give you a little bit more hooks. So let's say this is around um, relationship struggles. So what does it look like to think these kind of excellent, praiseworthy thoughts? Well, maybe this is your spouse or a significant other, and um, there's been a lot of tension recently. It's easy to go down the interstate where you start to think about escape. You start fantasizing about how everybody else's relationships start to look good. You watch a television show, and they seem to have it together. And all you can do is this long list of everything that's wrong with them and everything that they do wrong in your relationship. And you just, right? And it may not be your spouse or significant other. It might be your kid. You may be thinking about exchanging them out. <laughs> just be real. And those are the thought processes. Flying down that interstate, 60 miles. You didn't even have to think about that thought. It just happened fast. You're like, I wonder if there is an exchange policy, right? (laughs) Or we start to define who they are by their actions recently. All they are, if we're not careful, and that speed is that that's who they are. That's who my child is. That's who my spouse is. That's who my coworker. We define who they are and their identity by their one or two or recent actions in their life. And when Paul says to excellent and praiseworthy, he's like, no, no, no. We choose to, in that moment with that relationship, we choose to focus on the good things that are still there too. We choose to see them not just for their one action, but in totality and who they are and the history of our relationship. You start to spend time reflecting who, who, who were they when you were first attracted to them. That's the type of thought process he's referring to. That's the footpath he wants to build and foster in our lives. And if we're willing to do that, then what starts to happen is Paul understands the third step flows out of this, that if you choose to start thinking and reflecting about this belief structure in your mind, then what it will start to do is influence the behaviors in your life. It's not okay just to think it. The first step of praying isn't enough. You have to start to deal with your thought life, but your thought life, he says, isn't enough either. It has to actually penetrate and diffuse into your life itself. It can't just be a belief up here. It has to be behavior out there, that it's got to flow and dictate and determine. Most of us don't realize that there is this powerful principle at work that our beliefs are activated by our behaviors, that when we choose to act on a belief, it actually activates that belief. That if we're going to be people who are grateful, the moment you start speaking things that you're grateful for, you notice it starts to change who you are on the inside. This is how we've been made and wired by God. That our beliefs are only as powerful. They're only as activated 
as the behaviors that they reflect, that's reflecting those beliefs. And this is why Paul says to them, verse 9, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He's like, look, your, your actions will strengthen the peace. That for some of us, maybe we pray and we're confused why we don't see peace yet. And it's because we haven't moved to this level. We've, we've thrown up prayers, but we haven't been intentional about our thought life, and we haven't allowed it to impact and influence how we live our life. And that's why we're missing the peace that God promises here, because it's all three steps that puts us on this pathway to peace. That Paul is like, look, there is a power. It's, if you pray for rain, two of you pray for rain. I'm, I'm trusting the one walking out of the house with the umbrella, Right? That's the one whose belief really does reflect that rain is coming. And this is what Paul is saying. Look, there's power there. This matters. And he's saying, look, you saw the lessons I gave you. You heard the teachings about Jesus, about our faith. Do do what you already know to do. Do what's right. Be faithful. If you're struggling with finances and it's a source of anxiety, He's like, look, stop doing what got you in this place and start doing what's right to get you in a better place. Be intentional about being diligent in savings and and, and practicing generosity. He's like, look, start making choices that are in align with where you want to be, not choices that leave you in the same place that's the source of all this anxiety. He's, He's like, look, let's walk it out. Peace is there on that path if we're willing to walk into it. But he also says, not just what I've said, he also says, if you notice, it's not just the lessons he's taught, it's what they should have caught in the life that he's living, which is a bold statement. How many of us would be willing to say, hey, everything I've said, do it. Everything you see me do, do it too. That's a bold life. And this is what he's writing to these people. He's like, you've seen me, you know me. Don't just live out the lessons I've said, live out the life I'm living. Because I'm understanding this. I'm living this. This is not a thought. This is not a blog post. This is what I experience every single day. Because here's what I didn't tell you about Paul. But it would have been very apparent to the readers and to the listeners the first day. Is that Paul writes the letter to the church in Philippi because of a man that is sent to him bearing food and gifts. A man named Epaphroditus, who's a messenger from the church of Philippi. Paul is in prison when he writes this letter. Not cushy 21st century prison where food is brought to you, where there's HVAC. This is a stone cave where if you're fed, it's because people have brought you food. If it's, you're warm, it's because people have brought you clothes. This is a hard place to be. And Paul is writing this letter to these people shackled and chained to another prisoner with a little bit of a candlelight to guide his writing. I've actually been physically in the space where we believe this letter was written. And I'm telling you, you walk down that windy little staircase into what is a hole that was carved out of stone. And it is humid, and it reflects whatever the temperature is outside in Rome. So it's 90 degrees, it's 90 degrees. And you're in this dark hole, surrounded, shackled, and chained. And this man writes a letter with advice about peace. 
That's the kind of man I want to listen to when it comes to advice about peace. I, look, I'm all for the Instagram post with the person sitting on the beach taking the waves coming in and them talking all about peace, <laughs> right? But I'm saying if, if I'm going to get my advice from peace from the Instagram post on the beach side or the man in prison writing about what he's experiencing, I'm going to take it from the man in the prison every single time. And Paul has a credibility. That's why he can say, look, look at my life. Repeat what you see. Because this peace is not some idea. This is not. He understood something critical to the Christian faith, that peace is not just a feeling. It's a person. That peace in Christianity is the person of Jesus. And what he has done, you can sit on death row and write with peace because you serve a God who was not only on death row, he was crucified, and then he came back to life. You can have confidence when impending death is happening because you serve a God who's already conquered death. You can, you can have peace about your financial struggles or about your relational challenges because you are talking to the one who created all of them, who sustains them. This is powerful. Paul understood it, and these people are reading it, and Paul is saying, look, even when the world around you is falling to pieces, you can still have peace. And I write to you these words from prison, not convinced if tomorrow's my last day or if next week's my last day. But what I'm telling you is that the peace, the God of peace, right? Did you notice how he ends? The God of peace will be with you. The last year of my life has been the hardest year in my life total, ever. Um, it's been an incredibly tumultuous year. It's not just the building. Although I can tell you, if you've never walked it, a building is an incredibly stressful struggle and journey. All the things you see around you cost money. There are all these details. There's all this. But it's just not that. That by itself would have probably been quite manageable. It was all the other stuff that this last year has had. My wife and I have watched an incredibly important relationship to us fall apart, and we can do nothing about it. We're watching a divorce happen in slow motion for people that we genuinely care deeply about, and we live with that. There are genuine dreams that we've had for our family that have not happened this year, or the year before, or the year before, and have walked that journey of waking up in the middle of the night with panic attacks, or constant kind of undercurrents of stress and anxiety about things that we have no control over. And what I'm telling you is that what Paul writes to these people about the power of the peace and the God of peace is something that I have found in the middle of night and the middle of horrendous panic attacks to be a peace that doesn't just come and replace, but a peace that comes and transcends the panic in that moment. Because when you discover that there is a peace offered to any of us that transcends what we can understand, a peace that can hold us together even when everything else, including ourselves, is falling to pieces, then you start to realize that I'm tired of traveling down the interstate of anxiety. I want to start walking the footpath of peace. And if you and I are willing to begin to pray, to look up, to lift up, and to look around. And we're willing to begin to, to focus our thoughts proactively and to, 
to think excellent and praiseworthy thoughts and allow that to filter into our lives, then what you and I will discover is that peace can be something that you and I can find flowing into every single hour of every single day. That that's what's held out for you and me. And it's a whole lot better than a box fan covering up what might be lurking outside. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are. That you are a God of peace. That you bring peace even in the midst of anxiety. That you bring peace to us even when our world is falling to pieces. And I know that there are circumstances and situations that are reflected in this room and online that that need more than an uplifting word, that they need you. And maybe they're not even sure if they believe in you, but God, I pray that even now that you would begin to reveal to them that you're a God of peace, that you're a God who speaks peace, that you're a God who brings peace, and that you would give us courage, that you would give us discipline, that you would give us energy, to begin to walk out and to walk down this path of peace. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One of the ways that we um, close out every single Sunday here at Encounter Church is that uh, we really believe this can be the most helpful and hopeful hour of your week. And that we created the app with those simple notes there for you and I to be able to process and to reflect what does this look like to take this, this teaching and to to unpack it into our lives. And so there's two simple questions, and we create this space so that you can reflect. And maybe there's a thought, maybe there's a relationship, maybe there's an idea, maybe there's an action step. And it's just you to be able to kind of type it in or write it down and say, okay, this is what I'm doing this week. This is my one thing. This is what I'm going to start to build into my life so that I might start to have peace built in my life too. For some of us, that response comes through the song. Like today, we're going to sing a song that has meant a lot to me and to my family, and it's a song that says, even when it hurts. And it's a song that's just raw. I'm going to go ahead and just let you, it's, it's real. It's like, hey, even when, even when all of my world is falling apart, I'm still going to do the very first step, which is believe that you're greater, that you're bigger, that you're grander, that you're stronger than what my struggle is. And I'm telling you, you may feel grounded in life right now, but if you just get this one step, you're just willing to kind of even lean into this first step, then what you will discover is when you start to look past your struggle and you see his strength and you see what he is capable of, when you realize that he's the one who's conquered death and that you're able to declare to him and he sees and knows all that's going on in your life, that what you will find is that some wind starts to gather under your wings and you start to look up to the sky and say, you know what, maybe I can still fly. Maybe I don't have to be grounded my entire life. And this is a song that just says, God, even when it hurts, I will praise you. I recognize for some of you, the response today, you can't say that because you're not even sure if you believe in God. You're still processing through what that looks like. And in the Encounter Church app, there's a next step for you. It says exploring faith. And you can click on that. And it's a video from a British guy just telling his story that maybe some of us in this room can relate to. 
And he's just unpacking his journey around faith and dealing with some of the questions that he had. And for you, you can watch this privately. We don't track it. We won't know, but it'll give you a safe place to deal and engage with maybe some of the doubts that you have about faith in general. And that for others of us, it's just to, to kind of practice and to take that step of generosity that we are able to be in this space, that we're able to do the good in the community that we do because of the generosity of people who call Encounter Church home. And so at the end of every service, we also carve out that space for people who call Encounter Church home. But we believe that at the end of every single Sunday, there's a step that all of us can take that can begin to move us towards a place of hope and a place of health. And so I want to invite you to stand. Our people will come, and for those who call Encounter Church home, or, or if you're a first-time guest, a place for you to put the connection card. And if this is the first time you're hearing this song, to maybe to just read the lyrics and process through. But thank you for being here today. And let's, in the last five minutes that we have together, grab hold of the peace that he offers out to all of us.